We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. March 1st, 2021, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. The Republicans in Georgia House have passed a massive voter suppression bill. It now goes to the Senate. We'll talk with Barbara Arnwiley, Transformative Justice Coalition, about what we can do to try to stop this bill. Speaking of uh, voting bill, Congress, they're going to soon be debating a federal voting bill that could pretty much stop what's happening in Georgia and other states. It is priority number one for black America. We better understand it. Also, uh, we'll talk about uh, the various vaccines, including the new one from Johnson Johnson, with a ranking member of President Joe Biden's COVID task force, Dr. Cameron Webb. Jackson, Mississippi, they have not had water 
for more than 10 days. We'll be joined by Mayor Chokwa Lumumba to talk about what's going on in that city. Plus, in Minneapolis, uh, they have scrapped this plan to hire a social media influencer to spread positive messages in advance of the Derek Chauvin trial, which starts next week. Uh, also, uh, folks, uh, today's craziest white person comes to us from UCLA. What an idiot. Plus, the benefits of high-intensity fitness training in our Fit Live Win segment. All right, folks. We also remember Irv Cross and Sheila Washington, two African-American pioneers who passed away. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. I warned you that Republicans in Georgia and across America were going to do exactly what they are doing. A couple of hours ago, House Bill 531 passed the Georgia House, an onerous voter suppression law. It does a number of things. Stops Sunday voting. Pretty much uh, stops all absentee voting. Uh, folks, it is a shameful and despicable bill that we must target because this is what they are going to do to steal future elections. Joining us right now is Barbara Onwine with the Transformative Justice Coalition. Barbara, glad to have you on Rolling Martin Unfiltered. We've been covering this story consistently. I told folks after Biden-Harris won, after John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock won, this was going to happen. What Republicans are doing in Georgia is what they want to do all across the country. We heard it from that crap yesterday with Donald Trump at CPAC. They're talking voter integrity. No, this is pure voter suppression, and it's all about stealing elections. Absolutely. And they are doing this everywhere. There are 255 voter suppression bills pending in 43 states. That's how they are responding to the success of what we did to get black voters and Latino voters and Native American voters and Asian voters and young voters to turn out and vote. And in response to that, they come up with these ugly, vicious voter suppression bills. And they have decided that drop boxes and they have decided that absentee ballots are the boogeyman and that they have to, you know, just absolutely do everything they can to destroy those two forms of voting. And they're also, after early voting, they're also, in Georgia, they're beyond out of control. Because not only did they do what you mentioned, think about this, Roland, they cut runoff voting from nine weeks to only four weeks. Folks, what they also have done uh, is, and this is the key, uh, you know, they want to not just stop Sunday voting, but they want to cut off weekend voting as well. They want to shrink this as much as they can. This is a tweet that Ari Berman sent out 
it lays out what's in House Bill 531, folks. Go to my iPad. Limit Sunday voting to one optional Sunday in each county. One, reduce ballot drop boxes by requiring them to be located inside early voting locations. What the hell? Require a driver's license number, state ID number, or copy of photo ID to vote absentee. Sets a deadline. Y'all, look at this one. Sets a deadline to request absentee ballots 11 days before election day. Disqualifies provisional ballots cast in the wrong precinct. Ban outside funding of elections from nonprofit organizations. Prohibits governments from mailing unsolicited absentee ballot applications. Creates instant runoff voting for military and overseas voters. Schedules runoffs four weeks after election day rather than the current nine weeks. Prevents, y'all, this is how bullshit these people are. Prevents free food and drinks for voters waiting in line to vote and restrict early voting buses to emergencies. If y'all want to understand how sadistic and pathetic these people are, they literally are saying you can't pass out water. I mean, and I mean, remember, this all started during the runoffs. Uh, when we were there on the ground, as you know, Roland, I was there, you know, I lived in Georgia for two months, uh, did nothing but work with all those great groups like Helen Butler's, you know, Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda and so many other great groups, including Latasha Brown's Black Voters Matters. Uh, and we saw this where all of a sudden, because people were grateful to get some help after standing in line for two and three hours, they were grateful to get some kind of food, some kind of assistance. And what Rosenberger did, uh, Sperber did right before the elections, two weeks before, he said, I'm going to put all y'all in jail for helping people in line. And it was a, a really ugly threat. And I had to explain to a lot of the groups that there was no legal basis for it. Uh, and that's why they're coming up with this law now, is to consolidate his threat. And people get this wrong. They think that somehow because Rassensperger would not lie about the vote count, that he's some kind of liberal. That's just not true. This man absolutely came up with a whole lot of ugly voter suppression rules during the time that we were there for the runoffs and during the general elections. People got to understand that, you know, in Georgia, you got this long, vicious, ugly history. Remember, they, they lynched Maceo Snipes in 1946 for voting. Uh, remember that they killed and assassinated people down in Early County 100 years ago for voting. Uh, you know, people forget that in Georgia, they still have to this day, Roland, to this moment, what they call blacklists by employers for blacks who vote and who vote, as they think, too progressively, and they prohibit them from being employed in several counties down in southern Georgia. Let's not get this twisted. This is really a long, vicious history, and it's being manifested now with these new laws. Now, remember, we've seen this before. We saw this with the monster bill. 
back in North Carolina, what, in, nine, in 2014 and 15. And we will see this again uh, everywhere where we're fighting. But I want people to understand that the number one thing that we have to do is to fight back. We can't sit back and just say, well, they're gonna do what they wanna do. They're gonna be all racist and mean, and there's nothing we can do about it. Yes, there is. And there's a lot that we need to do like urgently about it. So what are you calling on folks to do? I am calling on people to immediately uh, do a couple things. If you're in Georgia, it's not over yet, right? They got to go to crossover. They got to reconcile all these ugly bills. They got, you know, several of them in the Senate, on the Senate side. They got several, they got this crazy uh, omnibus bill coming out of the House. Uh, and so there's still time if you're in Georgia to call your reps and raise a whole lot of sand about this and make sure that they know that it's opposed. We need you to do that, by the way, because at some point this has to go to litigation if uh, you know, they passed you know, some of this evil stuff. They've already withdrawn a few of them, but we need to really fight this new wave. And what we want to do is make sure that people complain. That's first. But secondly, and more importantly, is we've got to talk to these Democrats in the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, those on the Capitol, uh, in Congress. We got to tell them and to the, we also got to tell those senators that they must pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Remember that if you had the Voting Rights Act, if Section 5 was in full effect, none of this could happen. None of this would be legal. None of this would be acceptable. They're only doing this because they know that they that that they're, you know, within very short period of time, they see their political futures gone, but they also believe that there may be congressional passage of the Voting Rights Act. So that's why they're trying to jam and rush all of this through as emergency legislation. So it's very critical that you're calling right now your senators and you're telling them to do everything they can to pass the what's called H.R. 4 uh, coming over to the Senate, which is called the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. And you need that. I know there's a lot of emphasis on H.R. 1, and that's great, and that's necessary, because it would help with some of these problems. But we need H.R. 4 because it not only would stop all this voter suppression, it also will help when we get to redistricting which is coming up in the fall. We got to think, you know, strategically, long-term and very well. But at this point, unless the, you know, the Dems and others in the Senate, uh, you know, take steps to not make sure there's no filibuster of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, unless we do that, we're going to be in these battles for years in every single state in the union. 43 is almost all of them. So we need everybody on board. Don't sit back and think that you don't have a dog in this fight. Don't think every one of you got a senator. Every one of you have a voice. Every one of you can call that hot that hotline, that congressional switchboard at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. All right, Barbara Arnwine, we still appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. All right, folks, let's go to my panel. Dr. Julianne Malvo, economist, president emerita, Bennett College, Eugene Craig, CEO, Eugene Craig Organizations, Michael Brown, former vice chair of DNC Finance Committee. Eugene, I want to start with you. Um, guess who's real quiet, Eugene? 
the trifling ass black Republicans from Georgia. Mm. Where's Alveda King? Where's uh, where's uh, Angie Stanton? Where's Vernon Jones? Where's Bruce Lavelle? Where's sorry ass Paris Denard? Where's little punk ass C.J. Pearson? Where are all these little black Republicans bop, 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 running their mouths? Mm. They're not saying anything about this. Well, you, you shouldn't reasonably expect them to say anything about it. You know, they are going to take hard stances on black issues. They are going to take hard stances on anything outside of what's going to get them uh, more clout and more dollars from white conservatives. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw some of them come out and actually uh, take a stand in support of uh, this atrocious bill. Um, you know, that's their stick. That's their grit. Um, that's how they make their money. That's how they stay relevant. They see that or them and finding them amongst themselves. You know, it, it is it is clear, uh, Julian, uh, what I have been saying. And, and every time I talk to some of these people, oh, no, I've spoken as an individual. No, 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 no. This is where you should have black Republicans as a collective speaking nationally, calling this out like like Colin Powell did when he went to North Carolina a few years ago, when he called out the governor of North Carolina to his face in a public event for a voter suppression bill. Well, they should be uh, talking. They should be talking about a lot of things. I mean, CPAC just met uh, in, this weekend, and um, you know, you didn't see these these people didn't have anything to say. They're not going to have anything to say now because Eugene is right. First of all, they're getting paid, and secondly, they're getting clout. So they are basically, for lack of a better word, kiss the white man's behind. Um, and I could say that better, but that's how, what came out. Um, kissing, you know, basically acquiescing. Now, they all claim they believe in the vote, the free, free and fair elections, but those provisions that you laid out that Barbara Arnwine went through with you, not, none of that is free nor fair. What is wrong with giving somebody a bottle of water after they're standing in line for a couple of hours or a protein bar? There's nothing about that that's wrong, except for the fact that you want to wear people down so that they are too tired, too thirsty to stand in line anymore. You want to run people away. And that's what they've been doing, discouraging voters. Uh, Georgia is the worst, but as Ardwine said, there are 43 states. So we really want to know what, what those states are and what their provisions are. But if they use Georgia as their playbook, we're going to be in trouble all over the country. Michael, this bill, if passed, is going to put pressure on Dems in Washington, namely Cinema and Manchin, to get out their asses and stop opposing the filibuster. You're not going to get 10 Republicans in the Senate to support the John Lewis Voting Act. Not any of those trifling ass Republicans who would ride down to Selma with John Lewis and take pictures like they want some kind of Negro field trip and oh, how great things were. And they come back to DC and do nothing. Senator Tim Scott doesn't have the guts to stand up and fight for black voters and tell his party what they're doing is wrong. Absolutely, Ms. Arnwine uh, was exactly right. And, and you're right, Senator Manchin and, and Senator Sinema should not be given a pass will build because they claim they're moderate. And, um, you know, we have to take advantage of this opportunity because who knows what's going to happen in 22. 
uh, with the uh, with other kinds of elections, whether they're stolen or not, or whether these voter suppression laws passed. Miss Armline again is exactly right. Um, HR one is extremely important, but HR four is just it's the whole it's the ball game. This should I mean frankly the John Lewis law. I mean I know it wasn't the John Lewis law before um, bill before this, but it really should have been passed a couple of decades ago, uh, and had the opportunity. Uh, during the Clinton administration, when you had the House and the Senate, I have to say, even the Obama administration in 08, when you had the, or in 09, when you had the House and the Senate. So we've had several opportunities to try to get something like this kind of bill passed. And now it's on the doorstep again. And the junior senator from Arizona and the, and the senior senator from West Virginia should not be given a pass. Yes, you're right about the filibuster. On something like this, the filibuster has to be eliminated. Eugene, um, the Supreme Court is going to be taking up another voting rights case dealing with Section 2. They're likely are going to gut that. If Congress does not pass <clears throat> this bill, Republicans are essentially going to guarantee themselves a free run for the next 10, de 10 years or longer. I don't know what the hell these Democrats think they're doing. I don't know how in the hell they think they're going to be able to hold on to the House and the Senate majority in 2022 if they do not pass a major voting bill. You got to pass a major voting bill. Um, the, the right to vote, the right for people to choose who their uh, elected officials are, who their leaders are, who the folk in power are, is, is a sacred, should be protected right. And look, um, I think this should have been uh, priority number one on the agenda. Um, you know, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. And, uh, you know, look, you know, HR1 is important. HR4 is more important, as, as, as Michael said. Um, but the thing is this, you got to drive it through, and the filibuster has to go. Um, the filibuster cannot be a, a stopgap, a, uh, a hard break uh, to good legislation anymore. It's an antiquated uh, relic of the past. Um, you know, it's being used to stop uh, or try to prevent good legislation pass. Um, and don't get me wrong, there are some good filibuster moments, you know, but at this point in time, um, it's just a tool to stop actual progress and protecting people. And so um, I think, you know, in the immediate, um, you know, Schumer needs to, you know, put a vote in the calendar to, to uh, pop it and, uh, you know, have Vice President Harris there to cast a deciding vote and call it a day. Um, look, there are a lot of things, uh, and, and look, I, I totally get, uh, the COVID bill, um, uh, Julian, uh, I get the bill the House just passed dealing with transgender in sports. I get all those bills. <clears throat> After COVID, this is priority number one. After this, the George Floyd Justice Act is priority number two. Absolutely, Roland. I mean... Absolutely. This should have come up, you know, much sooner. As um, Michael said, we've had other opportunities to pass this legislation, just like we've had other opportunities to deal with D.C. statehood, where we had both the House and the Senate. Um, and that's something that we really need to hone in on. But, you know, what we have to understand is that our founders, the founders of this country who wrote the Constitution, they weren't Democrats. Small, they weren't Democrats and small d Democrats, Democratic. They were autocrats. And that's why you have an electoral college. That's why you have a filibuster. Basically, it's not about one person, one vote. It's about figuring out ways that autocrats and petty capitalists can have basically everything they want. And so the voting right, as you said, the Voting Rights Act 
should have been restoring a Section 5, the John Lewis Act, H.R. 1, H.R. 4, should have been up first. Certainly, the transgender issue is important, but nothing is more important than guaranteeing our right to vote and getting relief to people who have been hit by COVID. Um, um, Michael, I've said this. Um, black groups, voting rights groups, prepare themselves to drop 50 to 100,000 people on the nation's capital. There has to be maximum pressure. I'm talking about in the face of every single Democrat, any Democrat wavering. This has to be the absolute strongest bill because here's the deal. When you talk about these elections, these congressional elections, U.S. Senate elections, presidential elections, those are federal elections. Those are federal. And you can require, you can require multiple drop boxes. You can, you can allow folks to pass out food. Every single thing that they've put in these bills, you can actually counter it. It needs to be the absolute strongest possible bill. I'm talking about you put everything in it and you dare a single Democrat to oppose it. I agree. I mean, I, I don't think there's any way to other way to look at it strategically. You have to basically say you you don't get a pass on this one. There's nothing you get a pass for. And um, and look at it this way. Keep in mind if if the situation was reversed, and um, if it was Majority Leader McConnell, you better believe he would eliminate the filibuster to get a bill done that he wants, because that's how he plays. That's how the right play. They play. Now, we played unbelievably well in this last election. People, I mean, obviously, all the boots on the ground, the people that did all this wonderful work to get people out to vote, kudos. But it can't just be a one-time thing. The right, they do it every single election, local and federal. We can't just say, okay, we got Biden and Harris in, we're done. No, we're not done, clearly. Uh, we have a lot of work to continue to do. You're right, Roland. They should not, no one should get a pass, whether that means Speaker Pelosi, whether that means uh, my frat brother Whip Clyburn, whether that means Steny Hoyer, putting the maximum pressure, obviously that's on the House side, but then Mr. Schumer putting maximum pressure. And if somebody starts to waver, you have to pull out all the stops, like threatening committee assignments. That's the kind, that's how important this bill is. Folks, it matters. Uh, we're going to keep pressing this. Uh, you see our lower third that you see right there. It has the phone numbers uh, of the key folks. Y'all, write this down right now. We're going to get their emails as well. You should be blowing the phone lines up of Lieutenant Governor uh, Jeff Duncan. That's 404-656-5030. Blow up the phones of House Speaker David Ralston. 404-656-5020. Blow up the phones of Governor Brian Kemp. I'm talking about jam them up. 404-656-1776. We're going to get their emails as well. We're going to get their inside phone numbers. We're going to put it out there. They need to feel the heat and the pressure of our people when it comes to uh, this particular bill. And do understand, this is not the last bill. 43 different states, they put bills up. You're going to see, the, if this passes Georgia, mark my words, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Tennessee, 
South Carolina, North Carolina, Arkansas. They're going to try to pass this bill all across the state and states they control. I guarantee you it's going to happen. This is why we must tell President Joe Biden, tell Vice President Kamala Harris, tell Senator Chuck Schumer, tell House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and you tell Kristen Sienema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, we will rain holy hell on your head if you do not move on this particular bill. I'm talking about pressure every day. I'm talking about in their face, meaning we're going to be in the chambers, we're going to be at Capitol Hill, walk in the halls. They got to see voting signs every single day. This is about white Republicans wanting to control political power for the next 20 to 30 years. They know they can't win at the ballot box. They know that they have to cheat. We're not going to let them cheat. Folks, this is game on. It's simple as that. And that's the Florida bill. And again, in Congress, the For the People Act, known as the House Resolution 1, is going to be debated on the floor this week. Now, it should pass, but the question is, how major will it be? I told you all of that, what it has to, uh, has to contain. And so it has to be a strong bill. We're going to keep you abreast of what happens uh, when they debate this on the floor. We're going to live stream this on Roller Martin Unfiltered. So prepare for that. We're going to be all over this. And this is where you need black media standing up. This is where I need all these damn black entertainment folks. This is where you've got to have black enterprise. Essence, Blavity, Shade Room, Jasmine Brand, Bossup, all these folks, BT, TV One, Own, Aspire, all of these black networks, this needs to be game on for all of these people. Damn anything dealing with sports and entertainment. That stuff means nothing because this is about our right to vote. Let's not talk about the vaccine, folks. Johnson & Johnson's coronavirus vaccine gained regulatory clearance on Saturday, making it possible for more people to get the shot. Unlike the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, this only requires one shot and it's easier to store. It's no secret that the COVID vaccine rollout didn't get off to the greatest start in December because Donald Trump, the idiot, was in charge. It has improved, although large state-by-state -state disparities remain, and many are complaining that they can't get the shot, especially lots of black folks. Joining us now, joining us now Dr. Cameron Webb, Senior Policy Advisor for COVID-19 Equity with the Biden Administration. Uh, Dr. Webb, glad to see you here. Always good to see an alpha brother. Sorry, Michael Brown. That's the way it rolls. Uh, uh, Cameron, let's get right to it. Uh, one of the issues that we still continue to see, black folks, I'm here not... Shots being administered in largely black areas. I was talking on the phone to somebody, uh, Texas Southern University in Houston, uh, shots are being administered. Shots being administered to Walmart on the south side of Chicago, 10 black folks in line, everybody else white. Uh, and so what is being done to get the word out, to let black folks know where shots are being given, how they can get in line, how they can access it? Well, you know, thank, first of all, thanks for having me this evening. And I have had this conversation about how important it is to get the word out. And right now, we're keeping track of, of exactly where we are in this process, who's eligible to get vaccinated and making sure that they, they know that it's their turn. That's kind of the, the message that we've been giving folks is make sure you get vaccinated when it's your turn. So kind of to that end, 
there are a couple of things that we're doing. Uh, you know, the, the term vaccine hesitancy has a couple of different flavors. One is vaccine confidence, and the other is vaccine convenience or access. So on the confidence side, yes, there's a, a public education campaign that we're launching uh, this month, actually, now that we're in March. And so that's going to be an important dynamic. And, and again, you and I have talked about how important it is to, to make sure that Black media is involved in that effort. We've got to reach out through the channels where people are listening. And so we're going to make sure that that's a, a priority. Uh, the other side of it, that education campaign is making sure that we're reaching people with trusted messages from trusted messengers. And we do that both you know, through, through paid media, but also just through those, those normal relationships that exist making sure that the community organizations and those trusted messengers across our communities have the best information possible. The vaccine access side of things, we just need to increase the number of venues for vaccination. So yes, that's those mass vaccination sites, but it's also smaller mobile sites, making sure that we're nimble enough to get vaccine in the places where people go, whether it's you know their, their church or community-based organizations, whether public housing, whether it's uh, you know other frequented community locations, those are the spots that we need to get vaccine, and then also through their pharmacies and federally qualified health centers. So we're working on vaccine access, working on vaccine confidence. We think that putting those two things together is going to help us get through and get, uh, as you said, get black folks vaccinated. That's so critical in this moment. Uh, we are seeing an increasing number of folks take it. Uh, the other day, uh, Dallas County Commissioner John Wiley Price uh, took the vaccine and, and made it perfectly clear why it's important to counter conspiracy theories and the people out there who are saying don't take it. Uh, Tom Joyner took his shot last week as well. So there are a number of African-Americans out there, especially black men who are, who are encouraging folks to take the vaccine. Well, and keep in mind that those concerns that people have about how safe the vaccine is or how well it works, those concerns come from somewhere. They come from a, a deeply rooted sense of how much people can trust the institutions that are responsible for vaccinating them and, and the institutions that are giving them information about this vaccine. So if you go back 401 years, there are lots of examples of the black community in particular not being uh, you know, given the, the best information or the best opportunity to get and stay healthy. And so this time we have to lead with uh, with transparency. We have to show people exactly what's real and what's not. But there are also organized misinformation and disinformation campaigns. People are trying to, to really confuse and muddy the waters. And so that's why it's great when we get some of these influencers, some of these folks going out front saying, hey, here's why I'm getting the vaccine. Here's why it matters to me, to my family, to my community. And I think the more folks do that, the more it normalizes this, uh, this vaccine process. And it creates spaces for people to have those authentic conversations with trusted messengers. And that's what we want to see. I always tell people, I'm not here to sell anybody a vaccine. I'm here to just make sure that people have the best information possible to make a decision for them. And we believe that the decision to, to get the vaccine is a decision to prevent death, to prevent severe illness, and to save lives in your community. And we think that in the Black community, people will make that decision. Uh, questions from our panel. Julianne, you're first. Um, Roland mentioned earlier, folks, white folks coming to black communities to get the shot when black folks aren't there. Is there anything that can be done about that? Or are the sites just open for anybody? Yeah, a lot of things are being done about that. You know, that was a phenomenon we definitely saw playing out early on. And what we said was we have to reserve spots uh, for, for the communities that we're aiming to get vaccinated at those sites. So one way is that, you know, uh, our mass vaccination site in California was doing this is they were allowing community-based organizations and faith-based organizations to reserve registration spots for 
their members, for the people who, who they know, for the people who need to be vaccinated. So that's one mechanism. And, and then the other mechanisms are just saying that uh, for some of our sites, whether it's pharmacies, or federally qualified health centers that they are required in our federal programs to make sure that you know a certain percentage of individuals who they give vaccines to are from that community where they're situated because we're going to them for a reason and we think that putting those teeth behind uh, the vaccine uh, program is going to help to eliminate some of that some of that tendency for folks to come in and, and take vaccine all right then uh folks i certainly appreciate it thanks a lot dr cameron webb uh have a good one Good to see you. All right, folks. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk with the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi. They have been without water for a number of days. Residents have been complaining about what's going on. We'll, we'll discuss that next right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. I believe that it's movement time again. In America today, the economy is not working for working people. The poor and the needy are being abused. You are the victims of power, and this is the abuse of economic power. I'm 23 years old. I work three jobs. Work seven days a week. No days off. They're paying people pennies on the dollar compared to what they profit, and it is time for this to end. Essential workers have been showing up to work, feeding us, caring for us, delivering goods to us throughout this entire pandemic, and they've been doing it on a measly $7.25 minimum wage. The highest check I ever got was literally $291. I can't take it no more. You know, the fight for 15 is a lot more than about $15 an hour. This is about a fight for your dignity. We have got to recognize that working people deserve livable wages. And it's long past time for this nation to go to 15 so that moms and dads don't have to choose between asthma inhalers and rent. I'm halfway homeless. The main reason that people end up in their cars is because income does not match housing cost. If I could just only work one job, I could have more time with them. It is time for the owners of Walmart, McDonald's, Dollar General, and other large corporations to get off welfare and pay their workers a living wage. And if you really want to tackle racial equity, you have to raise the minimum wage. We're not just fighting for our families, we're fighting for yours too. We need this. I'm going to fight for it until we get it. I'm not going to give up. We just need all workers to sit up as one nation and just fight together. Families are relying on these salaries and they must be paid at a minimum $15 an hour. $15 a minimum anyone should be making this available to stay out of poverty. I can't take it no more. I'm doing this for not only me, but for everybody. We need 15 right now. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Pack. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. For more than 10 days now, half of the residents of Jackson, Mississippi, have not had running water. Officials said a majority of the city will see water restored soon. The caution there may be further delays because of water main breaks. Joining us right now is the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, Troquel Lumumba. Doc, how you doing? I'm doing well, Roland. Happy to speak with you and your listening audience. Folks were sending me tweets over the weekend. So what, what's going on? What caused this? Uh, well, uh, the fact that we don't have a weatherized uh, water treatment facility, uh, which would have been uh, millions and millions of dollars of investment to do so. Uh, and so uh, at the 
uh, at the during the the uh, winter storm that we suffered a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it led to uh, the collapse of our of our mechanics in our water treatment facility. Uh, valves froze. Uh, the screens uh, of the the part that the, the portion of the facility which <coughs> the inception of water comes in uh, was complicated, and it, it brought down the PSI to about tw 37. Uh, 37 psi, and it takes about 90 percent, 90 psi, uh, in order for water to distribute all across the city. Uh, people were still consuming water; it drained the the reserves and the tanks, uh, and so essentially we have to start over from scratch in filling tanks and distributing water across the city again. Uh, the prolonged period of time in which the winter storm uh, stayed around the city uh, also made it uh, even more; uh, it, it complicated the problem even more. So um, we saw the same similar issues in Texas where they were impacted uh, due to the cold weather there. Uh, and um, it, was this on the city? Was it on uh, private um, folks? Uh, is exactly, you know, uh, whose fault is it? And what break of residence is going to get other water bills? Um, you know, in terms of what is happening there. Also, uh, are, you, uh, what, are you also telling them uh, to boil their water? I mean, so really what's happening with the folks who do uh, do have access to water. Absolutely. So uh, the city was not unprepared. The city was unequipped. Uh, you know, the, the problem is uh, decades of, of, of a lack of investment uh, in an aging infrastructure. Uh, also coupled with the fact that, that we are experiencing uh, hotter summers, colder winters, and, and more rain uh, during our rainy season, which is uh, taking a toll on our infrastructure. Uh, those are the contributing factors. Uh, that's why, you know, we've seen this, this same narrative not only across the South, but specifically here in Mississippi and multiple cities. Uh, and so that's a failure uh, over time of, of both city leadership. That's the failure over time of state leadership and the federal government to understand that legacy cities, legacy cities are in need of, of strong investment in terms of our infrastructure that serves people each and every day. Uh, and so our efforts have been not only to restore water, uh, but to meet people where they are uh, with the resources. Uh, you know, there have been distribution efforts across the city uh, ever since we were we've been faced with this this uh, this emergency circumstance uh, where we've been delivering water uh, to those areas that are hardest hit. Uh, here in our city, South Jackson uh, gets it worse than than the rest of the city because they are furthest away from the treatment facility, which means that the water has the furthest. Uh, distance to travel to reach them, uh, and those, especially those individuals living in high elevated areas, uh, it is it is hard for them as well. So um, it's been ten days. Uh, when you say restore soon, what does that mean? Next few days, a week, two weeks? Well, the way that the system is structured, it doesn't it doesn't you know give us an update like updating our phone where it tells us an estimated time in which the update will be completed. Uh, what we can know now is that we are towards the end of our journey uh, because we know that people at the furthest point for which we deliver water, uh, many of those residents are starting to give us reports that they are they are uh, seeing restoration of their water. Uh, but that requires consistency in the pressure that we are issuing. Uh, these systems were not meant to be shut down and restarted uh, in this way. And so because of the natural occurrence that 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 you know led to the shutdown, uh, we are now having to build back up. And so, you know, it's a matter of, it's not necessarily a matter of not knowing what to do, as it is that that time is a part of that solution. And so we need the time for tanks to fill. Uh, we need the time 
uh, to balance the pressure and, and, and those issues uh, that are competing issues and the domino effect that, that we suffer at, at an event like this. All right, then. And Mayor Chukalumuma, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. One of the things that uh, this reveals, uh, Michael, uh, what happened in Texas, what's happening there in Jackson, Mississippi, is that these very basic fundamental things that citizens take for granted, it's amazing what happens when uh, things start acting up. Things like water, electricity, heat. And, if you, and you know, you, ha you hate to look at everything being political, but you kind of have to look at it that way. Red states like deregulation. They like companies and power companies and water companies to be able to determine exactly how they winterize, if they're going to winterize at all, how they're going to do bills to the consumer, whether they're going to adjust them upwardly. Um, there are so many different ways, and it just happens to be consistent in red states we have all this deregulation. So then when Mother Nature and God comes in to, to create uh, an event, you, 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 it, you, as the mayor just said, it's not that they weren't equipped. It wasn't they weren't equipped or weren't prepared. I forget which what he said. It just made a lot of sense. Um, and that's what's happening in these red states where uh, governors, governor after governor after governor keeps deregulation in place so these companies can do whatever they need to do. When tragedy hits, they're not ready. Um, it was interesting, uh, Julian. I saw this um, this one uh, story that said that the deregulation of electricity in Texas cost residents an additional twenty eight billion dollars. To me, this that, that that's sort of like a a, a poster, a meme that anybody needs to distribute anytime Republicans start yelling deregulation, and that's not the case that happened here in Jackson, but. Again, part of the issue that, that we face is that basic fundamental things, when all of a sudden, when something happens, oh my God, people go crazy. But this is why you have to, you can't, you have to pay attention to infrastructure, water, electrical grid, bridges, very basic fundamental things that Americans, we love talking about technology and apps and stuff like that. No, it's the basic stuff that when you lose it, you lose it. Well, you know, Roland, our infrastructure, our national infrastructure is crumbling. As you mentioned, bridges. About 10% of our bridges could fall anytime. Uh, you look, look at water supply. We saw it in Flint, you know, now Texas, now Mississippi. Any state could have this kind of problem. Um, we look at the quality of our schools. We get a D minus, according to the American Society of Civil Engineers, a D minus on the quality of our schools. And we could go down the list. Deregulation is part of the problem, but the other piece of it really is spending government dollars on infrastructure. Now, that man who used to be the president campaigned on um, infrastructure, but nothing happened to infrastructure in those four disastrous years. Now, hopefully, uh, President Biden will take a different approach. Federal dollars need to be joined with state dollars, and in some cases, local dollars, to provide basic needs. You're talking, like you said, water, electricity, um, gas, all the basic things that we expect people to have. I mean, it, when you looked at Texas last week, when you looked at those lines and everything else, it reminded you of a developing country, not the United States. And when you look at Mississippi, saying people haven't had running water for days, I mean, again, that reminds you of the, a developing country. When I went to Ghana a couple years ago, somebody told me to bring my own bottled water. 
So I put a case of water in my suitcase. Um, and, you know, it lasted me a week. That was good. But I'm, I'm just saying, you expect to do something like that in a developing country. You don't expect to have to do something like that in these United States. So our government, our national government, has been neglectful. And so uh, Brother Lumumba, when he talked about not being uh, unprepared, how could they prepare with a crumbling infrastructure? Um, Eugene, um, uh, Eugene, as I keep saying, it's the basics. It always comes back to the basics. Uh, and that is, we, we saw what happened in Texas, lack of preparation, how deregulation, but also it also speaks to in this country what unfortunately happens when we, it, the pursuit of profits over anything else. That's one of the reasons why you don't have the federal funds going towards infrastructure because folks are like, oh, no, 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 that's wasteful spending until you need it. Then they go, why wasn't it fixed? Because you idiots called it wasteful spending. Yeah, yeah, I, and I agree with you, um, especially in the broader context, context of uh, infrastructure spending. But I think in particular in the situation in Jackson, um, you know, I think if we're keeping the buck, you know, there's a reason why the city council is fighting with Mayor Lumumba right now over this very issue. Um, and it's, it's not because of federal funding. It's because of the mayor's uh, you know, not providing proper leadership on this. Um, you know, it's an issue that he's been raising for the last three or four years. Um, but, you know, unlike some of the cities in the Delta that dealt with the same issue, if not worse, you know, there's been no bomb bills put on the table. There's been no plan put on the table. Even today, he couldn't give a straight answer on when, you know, folk were going to get their water back, if it's going to be days or weeks. Um, it kind of danced around it. Um, but I agree, you know, hey, there needs to be federal funding for infrastructure, um, you know, you know, the basics of, of bridges, gas, electric, you know, um, things that keep society running should be priority. Um, but I think that, you know, there's responsibility at all levels, particularly at the local level. And um, I think the mayor said it best that, hey, you know, there's a failure of leadership, and I think also that includes himself. Absolutely there. All right, folks, so let's talk about what's happening uh, in Minneapolis as they're getting ready for the trial of Derek Chauvin. Uh, they're scrapping an idea to pay influencers to spread positive messages on social media during the trial of Chauvin, the ex-police officer who killed George Floyd in May. City council members initially voted to pay black and Latino social media influencers $2,000 to pump out their propaganda during the trial. But after feedback from the community, city officials announced they will no longer move forward with the strategy. Instead, the city plans to hold weekly meetings with neighborhood organizations and send emails with information about the trial and community resources in hopes residents will stay calm no matter the verdict. Okay, that's just a dumbass idea, Michael. I mean, seriously? You're going to pay social media influencers to go, hey, Minneapolis is great and wonderful. Ignore the cop kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Uh, ignore all of that happened. Just come and party. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, I have no idea what the thinking was. All I can think of is they're trying to prevent maybe, you know, these major protests and want to keep give people a positive spin on what's going on. But, you know, you sometimes you overthink a problem or overcompensate uh, how to create a solution. And this is one of those situations. Bad idea. Glad they put it down. Um, I guess when they when it first came up, somebody said that's a good idea, and I'm glad uh, better heads prevailed. Julian, I found that the whole thing amusing, Roland. I mean, they're going to get influencers to say what, and how is that going to change the community's mind? 
I mean, some of the people who would be out there protesting do not pay attention to these influencers. They don't know who they are. So it just seemed to be like one of the most absurd things I've ever heard of is propaganda to the nth power. And I'm glad that they just decided not to do it. Uh, the community meeting idea is better. But basically, you cannot make chicken salad out of chicken spit. And therefore, what the, the trial is going to go on, people are going to be upset. People need to be upset. And these people need to be convicted. But you know so how rare it is for people to be convicted, for police to be convicted when they mistreat or kill a black person. Uh, Eugene, I'm paying social influences. Uh, that's really not what your big problem is. How about you hold cops accountable? I mean, look, it, it's, I think it's hilarious. The city of Minneapolis can find money to spend on almost everything except that in the lives of their citizens. Um, you know, I can't wait for the next election to see how many of these city council members get tossed out. Um, it, it's just, there is a place for social media influencers. Making the city of Minneapolis look good in the wake of George Floyd and Derek Chauvin is not it. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just like really confused by the uh, the whole social media deal. All right, folks, in North Carolina, legislators are reintroducing a bill that will require the State Board of Education to incorporate lessons on the Holocaust and genocide in the English and social studies curriculum for middle and high school students. Activists in the state are urging lawmakers to shut down the bill unless it is amended to include black history. The bill, which also calls for a Holocaust studies elective to be offered to students, does not mention expanding black history or at all. Last month, the State Board of Education voted to approve measures requiring K-12 social studies teachers to discuss racism and discrimination of marginalized groups. Uh, Julian, you were president of Bennett College there in North Carolina. It has always been striking how America has been far more willing to discuss in depth the Holocaust, which did not happen here, which took place in Germany, as opposed to the American Holocaust, which impacted black folks or people of African descent during slavery, but also the 92 years of Jim Crow after, after Reconstruction. You know, North Carolina is an interesting state. And I'm not surprised that the Holocaust studies has moved forward. I'm also not surprised that black studies has not moved forward. Americans do not want to look our history in the face. When you look our history in the face, you find all kind of inequities, persistent inequities. North Carolina passed a law in 1836 that read, in part, to teach a slave to read is to excite dissatisfaction to the detriment of the general population. This was a law. Um, a white person teaching an enslaved person to read could be fined up to $400 then, which was a lot of money, a fortune. Black people could be flogged up to 40 times then. Um, so this is a state that did eugenics, that, that sterilized people, black people. Um, they were supposed to pay some reparations. They never did. This is a state that um, very recently... Uh, Reverend Barr had to start Moral Mondays there because of some of the nonsense. So this is unsurprising, but I hope that the legislators who say you must include blacks' history, I hope that they hold firm on this because there are too many white North Carolinians who would not go along with this. They don't, they don't want to look their racism, their historical racism in the face. They don't want to know. If you teach students, young people, about the history of enslavement, about the Jim Crow laws and the, and the racism about the evisceration of the Black Wall Street in Durham, North Carolina. If you, were, if you taught young people this, perhaps they would not 
turned into proud boys where they grew up. Uh, Eugene. I mean, look, I think the black history absolutely should be included. Um, I think it should be a, a part of mandated part of the core curriculum. Um, you know, but the thing is this, I think Julian's right. You know, um, what we do know is that when people are more educated, they typically tend to uh, toss aside uh, certain ideology, ideologies and beliefs. Um, and look, you know, just imagine how more how few people from North Carolina would call the Civil War, uh, the War of Northern Aggression, and acknowledge it for what it really was if they actually had an actual uh, curriculum that reflected the actual history. Michael, uh, again, I, I think it's, <clears throat> look, this is not a question of pitting one against the other, but the reality is if you're going to a teach, teach American children uh, Holocaust, you can't ignore what took place in America. Absolutely not. And, you know, it's interesting, and, and Eugene and Julianne laid it out perfectly. There's not much more I can add, except it'd be interesting if a, if a young white child learn that a black person was a three-fifths of a person, you know, you kind of intuitively say, wow, what, what does that mean? Why did they do that? Which will give you some other historical perspective. How about during Reconstruction? All the uh, people of color, black folks that were elected to office all around this country, because obviously people were able to vote and had a different time period than in between slavery and Jim Crow, as you laid out. But then their answer is all, not them, some of them, their answer is, well, you have Oprah, you have Michael Jordan, you have <laughs> Obama, everything's fine. And that's their, that's their concept, rather than the history of uh, Black people in America, that we built some of these great monuments that you see here in Washington, that you see around the country. The reason the South has an economy is because of the Black folks. Um, the reason they screwed it up is because they weren't paying Black folks, and then when they finally had to, it messed up their whole equilibrium. So... Uh, if all that was taught, who knows? Maybe uh, young white kids would have a different perspective about what black folks mean to America. Yeah, but part of the problem is you got these white parents who really don't want their kids to have to be have to learn about these things. And frankly, it's it's safer for them to say, "Yeah, we can discuss the Holocaust," because frankly, it's it didn't happen here. See, again, that, 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 that's how, like, I love all the people who go, yeah, we're, we're going to go build wells, all these white conservative evangelicals, we're going to go build wells in Africa, but you'll bypass poverty in America. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, oh, sorry, Julianne, go ahead. So, Roland, you know, North, look, look at North Carolina again. Mark, Michael talked about the people have been elected. Moving to North Carolina, 1896, black people and um, Republicans, they were the good guys then, came together to try to change the political structure, white folks literally took the most prominent black men in that city, arrested them all, kept them overnight, and then gave them one-way tickets to leave town. One way, they had to leave everything they had. I mean, when you think about that, when you think about that, that's what white folks don't want their children to know. They don't want to know that history of how, how so much property was transferred, how, how much damage was done. And they can't, they're in denial. It's just like, as, as Eugene said, these people talk about the war of northern aggression. I mean, they know what time it was. We, they're still behaving as if they won that war. They lost it. Again, they <laughs> lost it. <laughs> but they, they, they don't want to deal with that. So, you know, you still have uh, people teaching some of the craziest things. You know, the, the Civil War was not about enslavement. It was about states' rights. 
he had a state's right to have slaves. I mean, <laughs> it, it just, it's just flabbergasting that, um, again, that we're having this conversation in 2021. It's a conversation that p perhaps should have been had in 1901 when curricula were being put together, because we really must have a curriculum that reflects reality. But again, I forgot, we used to have a president who didn't know anything about reality. And this weekend just spent all his time telling lies. Um, so truth is not a, a core value in this country. Absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, of 20, the uh, family of 23-year-old Jakari Simmons is looking for answers after Simmons was pronounced dead just one week after he was sent to a Harris County, Texas jail. Simmons' cause of death is pending an autopsy, but he was involved in a documented altercation with a detention officer the night before his death. Authorities say the officer hit Simmons in self-defense, but the blows landed Simmons in the jail's medical clinic. He was released the same night and found unconscious in the morning. Two detention officers have already been demoted to administrative duties while the Houston Police Department conducts an investigation into the incident. He also called his mom uh, a number of times while he uh, was uh, in uh, prison, uh, excuse me, while in that jail. Now that 23-year-old uh, is dead. We have seen from previous cases, Eugene, how there's lack, you talk about lack of, lack of response to stuff that happens um, in, when it comes to uh, police officers, even more so to inmates who die in jail. Because there's this, sort of this attitude of lock them up, throw away the key, they're trash, they're garbage, they really have lives that don't matter. That's really the attitude of a whole lot of people. It is, and it's wrong, right? Um, the thing is this. Somebody that's in custody of the state or the county is in custody of the state or the county, which means that the county is responsible for them. Whether that's a police officer, that's the EMT, whether that's a correctional officer, um, you know, the responsibility ultimately falls on the back of the state and the state, me and the polis. Um, and so the thing is this. Uh, this has to be aggressively pursued, this has to be assertively pursued, and this has to be unrelentlessly pursued. Um, you know, you don't just get into a fight and then you die. Um, you know, and then, you know, think that, you know, the CEOs are going to be absconded from the responsibility of that person. <clears throat> it's not how this works. It's not how it's supposed to work. And, and, and they need to be held responsible. This is really a problem uh, consistently, Michael, um, because there really is this pervasive attitude that people who are in jail who die, their lives don't matter. And, you know, again, when you, this is America, and we have a different standard. And the standard should be that whether you're in jail, in prison, in county, in some kind of detention center, or not, you still are a life that should be treated properly and fairly. Uh, and as you've heard me mention a million times, Roland, I'm going to continue to mention it. Until you put, and obviously correctional officers uh, are obviously law enforcement, until you put immunity and folks' pensions on the table so they think mm -hmm. twice about how they treat people, this is going to continue, whether it's in jails and prisons, or on our streets. It's just how it's gonna be. And just like whether it's uh, any of the examples we could think of. If an officer has to think twice about pulling his gun or his taser or shooting in the knee instead of the chest or head, you have a whole different, we may have a whole different way of life of how law enforcement treats people of color. 
But because they know, all they have to do is say, you know what? My life felt threatened. And that justifies blowing somebody's head off. That's why. Julian. Uh, Michael is exactly right. You've got to make this, there's some consequences to do this kind of behavior. This guy was 5'3 and 125 pounds. Said he got into an altercation with one of the jailers. Come on. This guy just went upside his head and hit him, and basically he died. And that person should not be pulling a check, should not have a pension. Not only that person, but let's talk about who's in charge of that jail and what their role is and action is. See, because these things don't happen. We hear about the guy who was killed, who died, but we don't hear about the other, I don't know how many, who had altercations, who were hit, who didn't die, but they were still brutalized. And we don't hear about that. That's what we need to know more about. Yeah, well, it, it is... Um, um... Uh, it, it is is really sad, and hopefully we can get some real answers uh, to to what is taking place uh, with this story. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back more on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Can he see me? Yes. Can he hear me? It is great to see you, Madam Vice President. Victor, it is so good to see you. The history making that you are doing, we are so proud of you. It is great to talk to you. Welcome to the International Space Station. As we think about the history that you are making as the first African American to be on the International Space Station for a long duration of time, I want to ask you, as you are in the process of making history, how do you think of those upon whose shoulders we stand and, and how they have inspired your work? Actually, I, I think about that piece often. You know, all seven of us up here are a part of an amazing legacy of human spaceflight. Everything every astronaut or cosmonaut has ever done is, has led to us being here now in this special time. And so, I, I really appreciate that legacy and I try to work my hardest to honor it. I think about right now and, and it is a time that we should celebrate and be appreciative of the current state of human spaceflight. But really what I'm most excited about is the future of human spaceflight and the fact that this is going to be the future. This is what we're going to do for the foreseeable future. And so making sure that, yeah, that was a first, but it won't be the only time that that's happened. We wanna make sure that we can continue to do new things. My mother would say, to me, Kamala, you may be the first to do many things. Make sure you're not the last. So I understand you recently got some fresh air because you went on a spacewalk outside of the space station for the first time. What was that like? One of my colleagues said to me to keep your world small, to focus on the thing right in front of you and then slowly widen out that worldview. And that really helped because the first time that I did just sit back and look down at the earth, I just wanted to do that for the rest of the seven hours that I was outside. It was it was pretty amazing, but we had a lot of work to do, so it was also very busy. Busy and beautiful. You are seeing Earth from such an incredible view. You have an ability to see the challenges that are facing Earth from space. What do you see as the challenges for Earth based on where you are in space? It is just a spectacular thing to see from here. And it's very obvious from up here is how thin our atmosphere is and just how special it is for there to be human life on this planet. And so it makes me want to 
do all that I can to protect that. You are inspiring us and you are reminding us of what is possible when we dream big and when we think big. So thank you. Hello, I'm Bishop T.D. Jake. Hi, y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. The pressure continues on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo after a second woman has come forward to say that he sexually harassed her. Yesterday, Cuomo dropped a statement uh, where he talked about flirtatious language and he did not realize that it was making um, his subordinates uncomfortable. The first woman detailed her encounters with Cuomo in a post on Medium.com. The second was in a New York Times report. What's interesting here, though, is how quiet Democrats are. Michael Brown, I, I recall when there was an allegation of sexual assault against Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. Within seconds, Terry McCullough, the former governor, called for him to resign. Numerous Democrats called for Fairfax to resign. Here you have two women who worked with Cuomo who have now talked about sexual harassment. The second woman said she went to two superiors immediately, showed New York Times they corroborated the text messages. Cuomo's position yesterday was different than the first accusation. Why are Democrats so quiet about Cuomo? Well, I'm not sure I've heard crickets. I think I've heard some Democrats speak out. Everyone seems to be on the same page. And I'm certainly not here uh, to defend the governor. I've no, I don't know enough about the facts. One thing I do know is we need to hear what the women have to say and believe that what they say. But it, the Democrats, some Democrats have come out and said that they have support this investigation uh, that Attorney General James will run with an independent lawyer. So Democrats have said it. All the leading Democrats have agreed for an investigation. No, I probably agree with you. I haven't heard any Democrats call for his resignation, except for some that are in the state house uh, or the state Senate of New York, who may be either political opponents. They could be Democrats, could be Republicans calling for his resignation. So I have heard Democrats speak out not for resignation, but for investigation. Yeah, but it's not been... I mean, it's been slowly <laughs> happening, Julian. Uh, but frankly, Democrats covering for a favorite dim. Let's just call it what it is. That's exactly what it is. I mean, when you look at uh, Senator Christian... Uh, uh, her last name is escaping me. But the, the woman senator from New York... Uh, Gillibrand. She, uh, Gillibrand. she uh, basically hounded uh -huh. Al Franken out of the Senate, almost singularly, for an accusation that went years back. Now, this stuff happened within the last couple of months. Well, certainly one accusation was at the end of the year. And you know, he acknowledged, he, he, you don't ask people if they've had sex with older men, with your old behind. You don't ask people that. I mean, that's inappropriate workplace language. It's not funny. It's unacceptable. And, I mean, Cuomo has been a favorite son, but that should not excuse him. 
he, I mean, I think he should be forced to resign. I really do. I, I don't think, I mean, Gillibrand didn't call for an investigation for Frank, and she's, oh, he has to go. It's ridiculous. So they have the double and triple standards here. I mean, six months ago, Andrew Cuomo was a golden boy in the Democratic Party. People were talking about him as a possible vice president or even, a, you know, presidential uh, uh, candidate. Now, you know, basically, you know, he couldn't buy chopped liver at a dog pound. So I, I just think that the, the double standards are very disturbing, and the language, as reported, and I do believe the women are telling the truth, they seem quite credible. Um, the New York Times uh, writing was very persuasive. If these things are true, he has no business in public office, period. Eugene, what do you make of, again, uh, Democrats slowly, you know, speaking about Andrew Cuomo? Keep that same energy. Um, you know, when, when, when the allegations around, you know, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax came out, they wanted to run him out of town and out of town quickly. Um, and those were flimsy, to be honest about it. You know, you know they were kind of flimsy. And, uh, and look, he even said, you know, go ahead and run the investigations. Um, and his story never wavered or changed. Um, now that they got a favorite son in Cuomo, who's supposed to be a rising superstar again, um, you know, there is a there there is protection and silence and not attacking, right? And um, you know, it's inauthentic uh, because when you, you were dealing with Lieutenant Governor Fairfax. Democrats from around the country were demanding that he resign. And you had pretty much no real corroborated evidence or anything. I mean, I mean, I mean look, <laughs> man, many of them did not even call for an investigation. They said, quit now. It, it was get this black man up out of here, and we'll get the white Virginia Democrat machine to, to replace him, right? Um, they didn't want him there in the first place, if we recall, back in the election in, 27, in 2017. Um, but now you got, you know, your favorite son, white governor out of New York, who, you know, stood up to Trump and X, Y, and Z, you know, you're not keeping the same energy. If you're going to be authentic, keep that same energy. Exactly. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. All I'm saying, you're going to bring it up. Be consistent. Be consistent when you talk about stuff. But unfortunately, that's not what they're doing. Last night's folks at the Golden Globes. And I didn't watch that bullshit. Why? Uh, because the Hollywood Foreign <laughs> Press Association has no black members. None. Zero. In fact, the former president told Variety on Friday they have not had a black member in 20 years. 20 years. So I said, look, I'm not giving y'all my eyeballs. Didn't tweet about them. Hey, the black folks who won, that's great. I appreciate that. But at some point, you don't reward people for screwing you over, for ignoring you. You don't. Uh, I'm going to go to my panel right now if Michael Brown would get the hell off the phone uh, while we're sitting here talking. Michael, get off the phone. All right, thank you. Sorry, buddy. Thank you. Put the pink phone down. Sorry, when my, when my children <laughs> call, I got to answer. Who called? When one of my children calls, I have to answer. All right, that's good. I thought you said when your preacher called. I was like, man, come on. <laughs> I'm like, you ain't fooling nobody. You ain't fooling nobody. Uh, let, let's talk, let's talk, talk about this here. Um, this, come on. 
this shows you the fraudulent nonsense here. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association. You've not had a black member in 20 years. Okay, let's be clear, y'all. First of all, with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, you have to write for a foreign publication covering entertainment. So you trying to tell me ain't no black people at any foreign publication. Y'all, the requirement is not you have to be based in the United States. Like, that's not one. Two-thirds yeah, I... of the world made up of people of color. They have not had a black member, Michael, in two decades. I mean, obviously, it's a disgrace. What's the, um, isn't there a uh, African-American woman that's head of one of the award shows? Well, no, she used one? to be head of the, head of the, uh, the Oscars. Uh, used to be head of that. But, but, but still, and here's the deal. Yeah. NBC pays the Golden Globes or the Hollywood Foreign Press Association a whole lot of money to air. Yeah. This, is where, this is where I believe there needs to be diversity riders placed in these contracts. So just like you have some actors who said they're going to sign diversity riders that to work on a movie, the crew has to be X percentage uh, diverse. Guess what? That's what should happen when it comes to this. There should be, say, Hollywood Foreign Press, yo, you ain't got black members, we're going to slap you with a serious penalty uh, and cut the fee we pay you because of that. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's, a, it's a disgrace. I mean, I don't know what, uh, especially, um, and you mentioned, you know, the, obviously the demographics of the, of the planet, but also just the demographics of Hollywood. It's not just white men running things anymore. You have women, you have um, black, Latino, Asian folks running things. So it's just interesting that they're not looking as Hollywood, as diverse and, and lefty as they are. Uh, have not taken the steps relative to executives uh, looking like their members. Julian, I, I, I love these people who was like, oh, no. Hey, we, 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 we didn't even realize there were no black members. I mean, I, <laughs> like, like, we just didn't notice. That, that's just hilarious. And they know better. They know better, but they're not going to do better because nobody's going to make them do better. And that's so I like your idea about the contracts. I like the idea about saying if you know we're not going to broadcast you unless you have this percentage of uh, you know of diversity of black folks, of Asians, um, Latinos. It makes no sense at all. But this is how deeply entrenched racism is in this country, and how acceptable it is to be racially exclusionary. Now, some many of those folks will tell you they're not racist, but it's okay with them. So if you walk into a room and it's all white men, and you don't say anything, you've co-signed that. And that's what you have all these people doing. They're so happy to get their awards that they're not paying attention to the composition of the institution that's selecting the awardees. That's, that's where, basically, looking at the big picture comes in. Uh, Eugene. Look, um, look, I'm gonna tell you my position. This, this harking back to a conversation that took place on Clubhouse uh, like three months ago with like 21 Savage and Meezy and crew. We can't keep waiting for these white organizations to either give us a seat at the table or acknowledge us. I think it's about time um, that, you know, we have to have our own award shows. We have to have our own organization. We have to have our own associations. Um, because, you know, it's, we got the point where we just got to build our own table and then extend it and create seats for folk. Um, because if, if this, if the foreign press 
um, that runs the Golden Globes can get away for 20 years of not having a black member. Who knows what else they're going to get away with? And look, in the age of 2021, um, you know, there's way too much access here. There's way too much uh, bandwidth where, you know, we can't build our own uh, award shows, our own acknowledgments, our own platforms to acknowledge uh, black arts, black creatives. And I think that's the, the, the trajectory we should go on. Um, you know, I think it's great to uh, force writers within contracts, you know, hey, maximize the leverage, maximize the check. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we're going to keep, until we build our own, acknowledge our own, add value to our own, we're going to continue to keep running into this, whether it's the Grammys, whether it's the Golden Globe, whether it's the Emmys, whether it's the Oscars, whether it's the MTV Awards, whatever. Um, because we have no control and we, you know, it's, you know, we're essentially, you know, going to continue to have to keep begging for crumbs when we can beat a whole loaf. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think it just, it, just uh, it, it, it shows you, again, the, the nonsense that we hear from these folks. Uh, it sort of sounds like the people who say, we can't find any black board members. We can't find any black executives. You know, we can't find any black law firms. We can't, you know, we just can't find any black people. And it's just, and again, in 2021, and my whole deal is like, you know, you got to call it what it is. Uh, and that's why my, my, my piece is you, you, you slap them with some serious uh, fees and penalties. And I just made a point that, you know, that's why, you know, I was not going to uh, reward them uh, with my eyeballs. I mean, I was just, you know, was, um, you know, was not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, and look, and look, I, and look, I agree. With you. I didn't watch. I didn't tune in. You know, um, you know, I heard. You know, Chadwick got a posthumous award. That's great. But you know, they weren't getting my viewership. They weren't getting my attention. Um, and there was a lot of folks like that. And I'm pretty sure ratings drop as they have been year over year. But I think you know, by the same token, because this isn't an isolated situation. You know, the Recording Academy is going through the same thing. You know, all the other major award shows are dealing with and going through the same exact thing. Um, but I think, you know, in all honesty, you know, harking back to the conversation that took place on Clubhouse you know, two months ago, that it's about time we built our own. You know, when the Soul Train Wars pull up, come around, everybody needs to support it. When NAACP Image Awards happen, everybody needs to support it. And look, there probably should be another five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 award shows that honor our creators, that honor our, our folk. Um, so, you know, you know, it don't matter if the Grammys want to go to war with the weekend because he got a Super Bowl slot and it's conflicting with their stuff and whatnot, you know? Um, it, it provides a way to protect, you know, black creatives, you know, black artists, black film directors, um, and their work and honor and acknowledge them. This, I, I just saw this headline here and, and I could not help but laugh. And I got to get y'all thoughts on this. Um, and go to my iPad. Jim Jordan calls for a congressional hearing on cancel culture, <laughs> citing Dems targeting Fox News, Newsmax, Newsmax OAN. You, you know, Eugene, you know what I find to be interesting? Am I the only one who remembers Bill O'Reilly attacking Pepsi for having a deal with Ludacris? Yep. That forced Pepsi to drop the contract. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I recall a number of campaigns from conservatives. I mean, I, I, didn't conservatives <laughs> try to cancel Mickey Mouse in Disney because they allowed gay people to come to their parks? 
I, 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 I do recall that. I mean, I, I just find it interesting. Uh, but, uh, well, listen, listen, we can go back three weeks ago. The conservatives on the Hill attempted to cancel their own conference chair. So if Jim Jordan wants to have a conversation on cancel culture, I think the Democrats should welcome it. And the first person that should be invited as a witness is Liz Cheney as conference chair of the Republican conference. <laughs> I, 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 I just get a kick out of these white Republicans who are Julianans. All is just grievance. And so they've just, oh my God, we're canceling. Hold up, I, 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 I thought you went off and started your own. I thought you didn't give a damn. I, I mean, I just can't, I just, it just amazes me. And in fact, how many times have we heard conservatives demand people get fired? for saying things or doing something or running afoul of them. Mm, I guess they might I guess they might want to redefine what cancel culture is. I don't even know how the term came into play, but I do they, they canceled Colin Kaepernick. They surely canceled him and yep. we go down the of, yep. of all the cancellations that yep. have taken place. I recall so, Donald Trump saying get rid of the son of the bitches. Yep. Yep. So, I don't this congressman doesn't have anything to do if he wants to call for hearings on cancel culture. What he needs to call for is hearings on his mental health. No, no, no. He needs to call for hearings on them boys who got sexually molested at Ohio State on a wrestling team when he was one of the coaches. Oops! Hello. Guess we don't want to go there. Nope. He wants to come up with... Dems have gavels. I would say, let's do that. You want a hearing on cancel culture? Let's have a chat. Let's have a hearing on uh, on, on wrestling teams in Ohio uh, that you know have players or wrestlers that have been molested, and see where it goes. I mean, look. At some point in time, that- you got. So listen. At some point in time, Dems got to learn how to fight. And you, gotta, and you fight fire with fire. You know, when somebody chooses violence, you sometimes have to choose even more violence and light everything on fire and see who survives. Michael, I, I I I just love the whining. He's like, oh my God, it's cancel culture. <laughs> Roll the hell up. Yeah, they uh, they 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 do that best. They're they're great whiners, um, and they like to point out deficiencies in everybody else except themselves, and that's how they've been doing it for uh, for decades. It's no uh, no secret. Jim Jordan is, I mean, you know, he's the, one of the biggest hypocrites walking around, as Eugene just. Uh, certainly outlined, um, but the former president or former number forty-five, I guess it'll all be forty-five. But the former president has all has has been the king of cancel culture. Anyone that comes out against him or doesn't like what he says, he wants to cancel them and wants to tweet bad things about them. So, uh, is he is Jim Jordan going to bring that up? Probably not. So, you know, who knows? Just, I'm glad he's not chair of any committee. So. Uh, I doubt that it'll come up unless he just does it on his own privately. All right. You know, Y'all know what time it is. No charcoal girls are UCLA dismissed one of his cross-country runners after he was recorded having a meltdown because his girlfriend cheated on him with a black guy. Right there, y'all, is Chris, Chris Wheeland. 
He was suspended when this coach first found out about the recordings. But after the audio of Whelan using racial and homophobic slurs hit the internet, UCLA said they were banning him from their athletic program. Oh, my Lord, listen to this. What did you do when she said that she was uh, I was very respectful and, uh, you know. Okay. I, yeah, and then on, until I asked her about uh, what she did last night. Oh, nothing, nothing. Did you do anything? No, I swear, I swear. Oh, really? Um, did you dance with him? Yeah. Um, did you kiss him? No. You sure? Yeah. You, did you kiss him? No, 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 no. Ten minutes later? Yeah. And then I told her to get the f*** out. And then what did she say? She got out. Yeah, that's not a good excuse. What, so we can get even? Yeah, but, okay. When, when she said she doesn't, you know, want to get back together, why do you think? It's because she wants to be with this who has no future. She's going to be with a stupid who's going to be in community college all his life. Christopher, don't talk like that. I don't give a Yes, you do. You know what, don't be crazy and do crazy things. You don't talk about people because you don't want him to kick your or whatever. I'll beat the out of him. You know what? Don't talk like that. Why would you know what? Move forward. Um, move forward. You you said you're done with her. Then move forward. I mean. If, <laughs> Make yourself better, work on things, and, you know, if things are meant to be, she'll come back. I don't want that back. Okay, well then, you know what, there's a lot of other nice girls out there. I'm sure there are that won't cheat. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Yep. No, probably ghetto. I'm sure Kayla knows though. I can ask her. No, you know what? You don't need to ask her. I'm joking, I'm not gonna ask her. I know, but you know what? You you have to. You guys were broken up. Okay, but she only did that as an excuse to be a that night. She knew that too. She wouldn't have left over a streak. Is that not true? She oh, found no. a petty the excuse whole, whole to end it so she can go take out with this guy. The whole thing with the streaks, get rid of them. They cause trouble. They're stupid. I would be too. But you say she has them. They're stupid. I would... It's a lesson to learn. Get rid of the streaks. Don't have streaks with people. And don't be sneaky about... I would be too if... The whole thing with the streaks. 
You're really trying to justify her being a f and making out with guys on New Year's. No, I'm not saying that. No, you're trying to justify her being a little. F that's all she is. That's all. That's all she ever has been, and she knows it too. Christopher, don't you know what? Let me tell you something. I'm gonna hang up now. You need to be careful of that. Remember, you're not going to talk bad about her. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know what? It makes you look bad. Uh, it'll make her look bad. <laughs> no, no, it won't. No, it won't. Okay. You don't, you don't want to trash talk her. I'm going to go. Okay, text me when you get home. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> Okay, first, um, uh, my 24-year-old niece says, the streaks reference are in regards to Snapchat and how often you interact with other people on the app. Okay, whatever. All right. Julia, here's why I'm laughing. Dog, you cheated on her. <laughs> now you're mad because she <laughs> slept with a black guy. I had the sense there was penis envy going on here. Oh, he probably lives in the ghetto. Oh, and I love the, he's going to be stuck at community college for a long time. That little white boy, he actually went to community college before coming to UCLA. I, I found out and the, the whole deal, you mad and upset, but y'all broke up. And now... You've been kicked off the UCLA track team and kicked out of UCLA. Bye-bye. Talk about cancel culture. <laughs> anyway, I was packing up to Roland um, when, I, when I was listening uh, earlier uh, to the tape. This poor child doesn't have a clue. Um, and like you said, it's, it's probably penis envy, um, among other things, uh, and, and racism. And I'm glad UCLA kicked him off the team, but it, it really is amusing. The only thing one could say in his potential defense, not really, is that he's in his tw early 20s. People don't have a fully developed brain until they're about 25. So, you know, he's brain deficient, and that's something that's going on. The woman who was talking to him, I guess it must have been his mom or something. I mean, she was very patient with him um, and told him not to use that kind of language. But apparently, you know, he learned it somewhere, maybe at home. I, I, well, first of all, his mom was like, look, you're going to get in trouble for saying this. No, I'm not. Yes, you're all right. <laughs> I just want to say this. I'm pretty sure the, the, the answer. Uh, hold on, Eugene. Eugene, hold on. Mike, go ahead. I, did the mother release the tape? Is that how this got out? Hey, I can't imagine. She... I, first of all, we don't know if that was the mother or not. We don't know who the woman was. Oh, oh I see. It sounds like an older woman. It sounds like, you know, but... I don't know what it is, but bottom line is he gone. Yeah, as he should be. And I, it'd be interesting. I wonder if he's gone because he dropped the F word or because he dropped the N word or because of both. Um, because in this cancel culture that we're in, it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, what really tipped the scale. Well, actually, here's uh, the deal. Uh, the, the UCLA found out about this and then he got suspended, but the coach put him back on the team. But when it got out, it's when they were like, yeah, you got to go. 
And the comment was um, from the coach. It says, and this is from Anderson reinstated Wheeling in January, but quote, after team members in the athletic community expressed concern, meaning black athletes, um, it became clear that his continued involvement with the team is incompatible with the culture of mutual support and respect we're fostering. I now realize that the, that the decision to reinstate him was not the right decision and that the action today is best for the well-being of our team. Translation, the black athletes were going to walk. <laughs> yeah. You gonna try? Eugene, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, look, um, you know, with the outcome of this, I'm pretty sure the ancestors looking down, smiling. All I can think about um, as he was going on, his having his meltdown, is the uh, meme that goes around with uh, Martin and Malcolm looking down on the field of a black man whipping a white slave. I mean, this is this is you know these type of situations, <laughs> these type of situations. You know, you know he he thought he was gonna get his get his, get his stuff off and, and drop all uh, all the niggers and niggers and niggers, and it was never gonna get out. And here we are today. Well, and the thing is, is here. Chris, the internet is going to be around, around for a long time. And everywhere you go. In fact, every woman you try to date going to Google your name. <laughs> and I would suggest you not go around any brothers anytime soon. <laughs> Might not end well for you. We gotta go to a break. We come back. High impact intensity training. We'll talk about that next. A fit live win on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You know, I've had the privilege of working closely with President Biden to tackle tough issues under intense and often high pressure situations. And I know firsthand his commitment to defending our nation and his steadfast support of the men and women that he now leads as our Commander-in-Chief. There's no aspect of our agenda, the 21st century leadership, where the women and men of the Defense Department do not have a role, whether it's helping curb the pandemic here at home and around the world, or addressing the real threats of climate change that are already costing us billions in impacts on our basis and our national security, or being part of an ongoing fight for racial justice. You are essential to how we must rethink and reprioritize our security to meet the challenges of this century, not the last. This is Essence Atkins. Hey, I'm Deion Cole from Blackish. Hey, everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. High-intensity interval training, a form of training that is characterized by short bursts of intense exercise <clears throat> alternated with low-intensity recovery periods. Does it actually work? What does it do? Joining us right now is expert, fitness expert Jim Jones. Jim, what's going on? 
What's up? What's up, Roland? All right, then. Uh, first of all, um, I thought I trained you better. That's a, a horrible-ass shot. Big-ass light behind your head. I mean, what, dude, I, 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 I thought I trained you better than this. You did, man, but your producer set me up like this, man. So what you want me to do, girl? Like, but you, you, did, you did, you did, you did, you did teach me better than this. I Turn better. away from the big mirror behind you and the big old spotlight. That way, I mean, we can. Th thank you. Turn more. We good to go. Turn more. That way, we got the big old bright light, look like the moon uh, in the, in the. There you go. That's better. That's better. Okay, we good to go. We good to That's go. That's better. My goodness, right. I swear, I swear, we went over this stuff like before. <laughs> I think so once or twice. All right, so, okay, so uh, uh, Avery Woodley, uh, who is a fitness uh, trainer, we had her on the show uh, out of St. Louis. Uh, we were texting, and she said, um, I was talking about, I got to do this award show. I said, yo, I'm going to drop 8 to 10 pounds in two weeks. She was like, okay, you got to do uh, HIIT training, she said, because you got to mix it up. And I was kind of like, okay, got it. So I have um, um, uh, Dr. Ian Smith had this uh, shred video. It's about 15, 17-minute video. Uh, sure. And it's a combination of where, uh, where I'm on. I do, like, these four intervals on, uh, on a um, treadmill, four intervals on elliptical, four intervals on a bike, and then you do a final cycle on each one. Okay. So I did it today. So what is the benefit of it? What, what does it actually do? So you, you know, Roy, hit a lot of people don't like hit because hit is a lot of work, right? Hit, you really gotta go in there. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get that high intensity. And so what that's gonna do? It's gonna allow you to burn more calories in turn, which is gonna burn more fat. And for hit training, a lot of people don't know you're burning fat even when you're done working out because your metabolism is so ramped up. Even when you're done an hour after your workout, you're still in a caloric burning zone. How? But how? I mean, how? Like for okay. So she explained to me. Like, no, like, okay, well, so before I would do, I will be on the elliptical, um, mm -hmm. and the goal was to burn 375 calories, and I typically would do that anywhere from 26, 28 minutes. Okay. Uh, but then today, when I did the HIIT training, which was about 15, 17 minutes, yep. um, I did about I did about 260 calories, but it obviously, you know, look time, but but that was, that's supposed to be more intense. So For sure. So again, explain that. So is it so is it is it the short verse? Is it the like what is it? I mean, I don't. I'm... So so what it is? Yes, you're you're just you're just moving. You're just working out so much more intense in a short period of time, right? So you can work out for an hour. I can do thirty minutes of hit and burn more calories than someone who's working out for two hours because I'm in such I'm in that anaerobic burning zone, right? I'm at a high intensity for a short period of time. I'm training. On for one minute, off for 30 minutes. On for one minute, off for, um, on for one minute, off for 30 seconds, excuse me. So that's just more intense than you just going through your regular progression, your workout where you're changing the song, you know, you're going at your own pace. That hit really keeps that accountability. So you're constantly under the clock, if that makes sense. So is it the amount of calories that are being burned or is, or is it, again, um, um, the, 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 the raising of the heart rate, uh, the, the intensity of that moment versus sort of this steady sort of like, okay, I'm focusing on, I'm building up a sweat and it takes right. me 45, 50 minutes uh, to burn 400 calories. For sure. Yeah. So that hit, it keeps you in that fat burning zone, right? And you don't get to that zone until you reach a certain, until your heart rate reaches a certain, until your heart rate gets to a certain point. So the hit gets you there much quicker and then you reach the fat burning zone a lot faster than you would with just a conventional workout. So, like I said, I can get there. I can with hit. 
you know, you can hit that zone within the first 10 minutes with a conventional workout. You could be working out for 30 minutes and still not even hit that fat, get into that fat burning zone. So, um, and so let's, let's talk about the next part and panel, get ready for your questions. Cause I know, um, uh, Eugene and Michael, I, I know Julian ain't trying to ask no questions in this one here. Oh, Eugene ain't got no questions. I already know Eugene ain't got no questions. Wow, wow. These, wow. <laughs> that's my uh, man. Jim, that's my man. Jim is throwing Jim is throwing shade big time. Uh, this this video here is the this is the uh Ian Smith uh shred. Uh and you see uh this is on the bicycle where the where the high intensity interval went like 45 seconds. And then, uh, so then it goes down to low intensity. And so you still, so even though when you're going low intensity, you're still, you're still moving, but, yep. but you're lowering the intensity of, uh, let's say the resistance on the bike, the elliptical, uh, or the treadmill. Um, so explain the, the whole thing of, of, of like, after the workout is done, you're still burning. A lot of people don't, a lot of people don't understand that. After your workout's going, when you, when you're hitting that, that anaerobic rate, when you get that rate high, after the workout, your, 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 metabolism, your metabolism is still running strong. You know, you got it so revved up. So you can be burning calories for up to an hour, an hour and a half after you work out. You can still be burning calories, right? So I know a lot of people like the sound of doing nothing burning calories. So the hit workout gives you that. It's a little tougher in the beginning. Like I said, you can really, you're burning calories for a couple hours after the workout, and that's an added benefit. So I did that plus weights. How many times should you be doing a HIIT workout per week? I say, you know, for someone like Roman, you sound like you had a pretty aggressive goal. So I would say anywhere from three to five times a week for that goal that you had. Okay. Questions here, Eugene. Yeah, let's get it. I mean, you know, I was going to, yeah, you know, so I guess my question for Jim, you know, yep. that's the bro. You know, I know HIIT is cool and all, but I saw a video with the smoothies. I was going to ask about the smoothies, bro, like, how we get the smoothies popping? <laughs> right, right. That's actually a very, very good question, Eugene. A lot of people don't know that. I mean, just as important, the, the eating is more important than actual hit workout. If you do a hit workout and you don't nourish yourself afterwards, it's it's like you're gonna throw it in the trash, right? So, very good question, Eugene. Now that recovery shake, what you put in your body after the Roman workout? Roman need the smoothies. Put them onto the smoothies. You know what? I'm actually uh, actually. You know what, Roland? Roland, tomorrow maybe we'll go over a little smoother tutorial. Me and you, Roland. I'll give you a Facetime call. And we'll make some good recovery shakes. That's a great question, though, Eugene. Julianne, what's your question? <laughs> I'm just laughing at y'all, um, brother. So you've described the hip workout, um, which I've done before. It didn't seem to have that same effect. What did I do wrong? Because so you probably were doing it slow. That you know, and and, and you know, I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm going to deliver a little bit better than Roland did. You know, so what it is, did you do it on the clock? A lot of people, you can't just do hit. And because what people often do is you count yourself, right? And I know when I get tired, 30 seconds might be 20 seconds. You know what I'm saying? So you got to live by that clock, man. That's the key thing if you're going to do a hit. It's got to be a minute on, 30 seconds off, and you got to be low to the clock. Now, if you were in there without a clock, you were just making up your own time. I mean, it was just, you know, you were just doing what you want. But once you're, that clock gives you that accountability, and that keeps that workout intense. Okay. That's Michael. Got to watch that clock. Uh, Jim, I have a two-part question. Um, my wife is a workout fiend, and she okay. does, but she focuses a lot on weights and hip thrusts. Um, okay. I try to, I try, she wants to mix in hit, but she, her body's obviously tired from lifting all the time. So how, sure. how should she, you know, kind of balance between hit and weight? training. That's actually a, that's a very, very, very good question because a lot of times 
when people do weights, they can't, you know, they, I don't even do both, right? I actually split it up. I go three days weights and three days with hit. So she should just, just divvy it up, right? I would say just on your hit days, focus on hit because if you're accountable and you're loyal to that clock, that stopwatch, it's, you're not going to be able to do both. It's going to wear you out, right? So just I would, I would suggest she do her weights one day, do her resistance training, and then the next day she do her hit and just stagger it like that. That'll make it much more feasible and effective. And should she take one day off per week or two days off per week? Because she, well, she and I get into it a little bit. But I think she should so at least take one that. day off. How, how good do you want her to look? That's the question. Now, if you want to look at me, how, 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 and how aggressive are her goals, right? I mean, if, if, if she's going for the summertime, I mean, I would say take one day or two days a week off. But um, if she, you know, she's kind of in the maintaining stage, she can take two to three days a week off, work out four days. But it, it's getting warm outside. It sounds like she wants to be in tip-top shape for the summertime. I would say do five days working on, take two days off. And then real quick, what is your opinion of these new high-tech bikes with the streaming? Do you like them, not like them? See, this is my thing. This is my thing. My thing is long, whatever gets people to work out. If you have to buy a Peloton or one of these bikes with a monitor with someone screaming and yelling at you, if that gets you to do it, then do it, right? I say do whatever <laughs> works for you. I mean, me personally, I don't do well with a person on the bike. I like to actually get in the gym. But for a lot of people, I mean, with the pandemic, you want to stay isolated. I would say... Man, if the, if the bike helps you out, you can put your playlist on. You can you can have your favorite instructor. You can feel like you're in a New York City spin studio. Then whatever dream you got to create to work out, just do it. Yeah. All right. Thank so, you very much. Somebody on YouTube asked, if you have recovered from a major injury like an ACL tear, should you still do HIIT workouts? No, you should not do HIIT workouts. So you will never, ever recover from an ACL tear. You, um, you want to rehab that first, right? I tell a lot of people, you know, there's... If you come back from injury, the key part is your diet. I tell people, like, that's really most of getting your results is the diet. So if, if you're coming from an injury or if you have a knee problem, back problem, any ailment where you can't do a hit, just go intense on that diet. And that goes back to what Eugene said earlier, you know, get your smoothies in, get your meal plan tight, you know, really focus on your diet if you're injured. That's going to be the main thing. All right, last point here. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about the gallon challenge, drinking mm. a gallon of water a day. Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that because what that does, bro, I tell people, if drinking a gallon of water, that also fleshes good nutrients out too. Like I think people would understand your – it shouldn't be all clear. Your urine shouldn't be all clear. It has to be something in there, right? And, you know, So I think um, the gallon just flushes everything. I would say go two liters a day. A gallon just pushes – it flushes the good mineral. You lose a lot of minerals when you're drinking a gallon of water a day, and that's one of the biggest misconceptions. Really? I've seen. Yes, absolutely, 100%. 100%. Because, it, it uh, because, so, so when people say this whole notion that, okay, you take your weight, cut it in half, and you drink that many ounces of water, you don't agree with that? I agree with Listen, I just say go about two liters a day. I wouldn't say a gallon is way too much. You're going to start fleshing out the essential minerals that your body that your body needs, right? I tell me, you're just fleshing everything out at that point. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So a gallon's a little, yeah, no, no. I, I, def, I tell my clients, don't do the, the gallon. Two liters a day is, that's, that's good. All right, two liters a day. Two liters a day. Give me a gallon. A gallon, a gallon every day. I mean, that, that's a that's a lot of work on your uh, on your system. And that's okay. truly that's and that's flushing the good stuff out too. Okay. All right. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, any other questions, Eugene, Julian, uh, and Michael? Oh, now we good. So Julian, Mike, no Jim, Julian, Jim is like speed your damn workouts up. Yeah, that's all. Speed your workouts up. You know, they can find me if you need help. I got listen. I got plenty of tutorials. G Y M. J-O-N-E-Z on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm Roland's favorite on Twitter. Hey, Roland, you love me on Twitter. It is at Jim actually, Jones actually, Global. Actually, actually, I don't, but, but, but you can keep... 
you can keep making that stuff up. So, all right. right. I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Roland. All right, folks. Uh, man, we lost a couple of uh, folks uh, over the weekend, and that is uh, trailblazing CBS Sports anchor Irv Cross. Passed away yesterday near his home in Roseville, Minnesota. He played for the NFL in the NFL with Philadelphia Eagles and the LA Rams and was voted to the Pro Bowl twice in his career before becoming an assistant coach in the NFL. Many remember him for spending nearly a decade on CBS's pregame show, The NFL Today, where he became the first black man to deliver sports analysis on national television. He talked about, of course, when he joined uh, CBS, they wanted him to be more like Shaft, literally wearing leisure suits and a big medallion. He said, no, I'm going to go ahead and rock the sports coat. Uh, many of us remember Irv Cross was great work. He was 81 years old. Also, we remember Sheila Washington. Uh, she founded an Alabama museum dedicated to the memory of the Scottsboro Boys, a group of young black men unjustly convicted of crimes in the 1930s. She passed away of a heart attack in January at a hospital in Huntsville. Uh, she was 61 years old. She made it her lifelong mission to obtain posthumous justice for the nine young black men who had been accused of raping two white women on a train in 1931. Through multiple trials, two of which reached the United States Supreme Court, the plight of the Scottsboro Boys became one of the country's first major civil rights cases. In 2010, after years of fundraising and acquiring artifacts, Washington opened the Scottsboro Boys Museum and Cultural Center in a building that had once been an African-American church. She is survived by two children, two sisters, a half-sister, three stepsisters, four grandchildren, and a great-granddaughter. Our thoughts and prayers really go out to her as well as Irv Cross. Eugene, uh, Julian, Michael, we certainly appreciate both of you being, all three of you being on the panel today. Uh, folks, don't forget, if you want to support Roller Martin and Unfiltered, please do so by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars go to support this show. Everything that we do, you can support us via Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, PayPal.me forward slash RMartinUnfiltered, Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered, Zale, rolling at RolandSMartin.com or rolling at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. You can also uh, send us money order to New Vision Media, 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. All right, I'm going to do this here real quick. Uh, there were some folks uh, who sent us some notes in, so let me go ahead and read this. Um, Roland, thank you for the vision. You had to keep our people connected. Make sure to keep uh, our young people trained in the art. Donna Duncan, we certainly appreciate uh, your contribution, Donna, uh, to our Bring the Funk fan club. All right, let me open this one up. Literally, y'all, I came in today, and these are waiting on me. I got lots of others, but I'm going to try to read these today. Uh, big thanks to Gail Hollingsworth. Gail, I appreciate it. Rochester, New York. I always enjoy going to Rochester, New York. That's where Frederick Douglass is actually buried. Uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, so uh, I took some photos of his uh, grave site. Lord have mercy, y'all like seriously put the extra tape. I can't even get in this bad boy. Let me go to the, let me do it from the bottom. You know, I always get a kick out of that, folks. They they tape the top, but the bottom is still can be open. All right, here we go. Uh, let's see here. A blessing is just what you need right when you need it. 
let's see here. Roland, I appreciate what you do. Continue to inform us. We need it. Thanks, Anita. Anita gave 50 bucks in 2020, and she's given 100 bucks in 2021. Uh, and so, uh, Anita Riggins. Anita, I solely appreciate it. Uh, and then she says, uh, right on, Greg Carr and Gary. So, all right, I'll be sure to tell them that. Okay, let's see here. Let me, go, let me see who I got right here. Uh, okay, I don't know who this is. I gotta open it up. Let's see. Let me open it up. Okay. Newton Pinnock. Newton Pinnock, Toronto, Canada. Uh, Newton, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Whoa, Newton, you sent. Okay, hold up. All right, Newton. Newton, you gotta help me out here, Newton. You sent me three checks. Okay, is Newton trying to get me to mail something? Uh, yes, okay. Newton sent me three checks, y'all. One for the show, which I appreciate. Um, a general GMJ Johnson legal defense fund. Okay, I don't know what that is. And the NFAC Land Project Soldiers. I don't know what that is. Okay. Try to make me do some homework, Newton. Newton, I'm gonna have to figure that one out. Okay. Now Newton sent me three checks from Canada for me to forward the other two checks. Okay, I'm gonna try to sit here uh, and figure that one out. All right, Newton. You try to make me do some extra work, man. Okay, all right, let's see here. Uh, last one, last envelope I'm gonna open. Uh, this is a shout out. Uh, to Ronnie Mae Carey. Ronnie Mae from Eugene, Oregon. I sure appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Folks, that is it for us at Roller Mart Unfiltered. If y'all, again, y'all want to support what we do, uh, go to uh, cash at dollar sign RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered, venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered, rolling at rollingatsmartin.com for Zelle, uh, and, uh, of course, uh, New Vision Media, 1625 K Street Northwest, uh, Sweet 400, Washington, D.C., uh, 2006. Uh, let me go ahead and do this here. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to shout out the Zelle people. This is going to be the last thing here uh, for today's show. Let me pull it up. A lot of y'all, man, uh, were giving on Zelle. I was, like, taking this thing uh, back. Uh, I was looking at a whole bunch of names of people who had given to us on Zelle. And so I'm just going to do this here. Let me, I'm going to go back two months um, just give me a second. I'm going to read all these names. Uh, we have folks who give us, again, Zelle, Venmo, uh, Cash App. I mean, I appreciate every single one of y'all. Um, we have, uh, like I say, done some amazing things. We were on the road last week. Uh, we're planning on uh, making a trip to Houston uh, in March. We got some interviews lined up. Uh, so we got lots of different things that we got planned on. Uh, so let me go here. Uh, Deborah Bolin, Richard Bromfield, uh, let's see here, Corey Poe, uh, Alicia Thomas, Latanya Darton, Lovey Ware, Festus, Sagun Ositi, uh, Ethel Edmond, Nancy Alston, Carol David, Danielle Isom, Brenda McGowan, Nicole Catlett, uh, Kyle White, Adiga Boyega, Owadolu, Patrick Grinaway, Danita Baker, Melba Thornton, Beverly Lowry, 
Don Aretti, D. Carter, Afroware Company, Constance Cartwell Burnell, Sharon Mack, shout out to Roxanne Holyfield, uh, also Rhonda Miller, Jr. Campbell, Carlicia Porter, Rose, Rose Marie, Ashley Miles, Sarah Harris, Pamela Miller, uh, let's see here, Rose Nancy Joseph, uh, Nicola Massey, or Nicola Massey, Stephanie Lomax, Latonya Strickland, Eloise Knox, Mac Frost, Patricia Brown, George White, Maverick Davis, uh, Vinko Bing, Nicole Norris, Veronica uh, uh, Leno or Lennox, Marie uh, Adelaide, uh, let's see here, Michelle uh, Akim, okay, A-K-Y-E-M-P-O-N-G. Akim Pong, okay, I'm just trying to, uh, that's a guess, y'all. Hope Clark, uh, Lula White, Essie Lockett, uh, Fritz Elliott, Quanisha Wells, Dwayne Oates. Let's see here. Y'all, some of these names, I'm trying to do my best. Uh, Tanya Randall, Deborah Rogers, Connie Bowman. Let's see, this is all Zell. Timothy Smith, uh, Carla Locke, Rainey Collins, Ray Malone, Mark Green, Anthony Johnson, Donetta Tolston, uh, Sakita Grant, Vicki Mayberry, Maurice Whitaker, Tracy McAllister, let's see here, Michelle Jones, Winford Hill, April Champion, uh, Walter Ingram, ATLLC, Carmela Larry Ambrosia Gallimore, uh, Tequila uh, Davis, appreciate it, Annette Burnett, Frederick Phillips, Clifford Armstead, Jahi Belton, Jerome Cooper, Malcolm Brown, Cherry Flowers, Stephen Clare. Stephen said, don't quit. I got you, Stephen. Patricia Fitzgerald, Teresita Reed. Let's see here. Uh, Solomon Funny, Samil Graves, Shirley Whitfield, Sean Montgomery, Annette Lyons, Linda Palmer. Let's see here. Robin Thames, uh, Nandima Ture. Helen Taylor, Carolyn Williams, Karen Bolton, Trina Dunson, Ralph Jr., uh, Ramona Rainey. Let's see here. Almost done, y'all. Lavinia Dover, Celeste Akers, Robin Thames, Nandima Ture. She gave again. I appreciate it. Helen Taylor, Carolyn Williams gave again. I appreciate it. Karen Bolton, Trina Dunson, Ralph Jr. Y'all gave multiple times. Ramona Rainey, um, Lavinia uh, Dover. Yo, y'all, y'all gave multiple times. I appreciate it. Salista Akers, Tammy Barnett, Marlo Key, Horace Sanders, Etha Dawson, Belinda McCullough, Paul Roberts, Elaine Santa Rose or St. Rose, Toby Olafasoye, Leon Walters, Andrea Bowman, Ronald Connolly, Harold Swinton, Laquetta Durat, Brian Price, Tammy Barnett, Marlo Key, Horace Sanders, 
Let me go. Keep going. All right then, y'all. Here we go. I did Ronald Conley. Okay. Uh, Deborah Javashal. Deborah, I appreciate it. Tracy McCullough. Gail Royster. Melissa, Melissa Haynes. Catherine Daniels. Ronald Chappelle. Kirby McFall. Uh, Diori Jones. Linda Williams. Let's see here. Glossy Eccles. Alonza Montgomery. Michael McPherson. Stephen Williams. Deborah Jarvisall. Let's see here. Tracy McCullough. Tracy, appreciate it. Gil Royster, Melissa Haynes, Catherine Daniels, Ronald Chappelle, Kirby McFall. Let's see here. Diori Jones. Man, y'all hooking us up. Barry Solomon. Woo, Barry. Barry said, please upgrade your YouTube. Barry, we own that thing. Taylor Hooks, Melissa Haynes, Sherilyn Parham, Christopher Taylor. I'm almost done, y'all. Crystal Edwards, Louise Hilliard, Alina Franklin B, Celestine Russell. Big contribution, I appreciate it. Um, and that is it. But I got to give another shout. I ain't going to tell you how much Barry Solomon gave. But Barry, you the man. That's it for y'all. Everybody who gets 50 bucks or more, you get a shout out. I surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much. I'll see y'all tomorrow right here on Rolling Bark Unfiltered. Holla! Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.